Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Live Truth. If you'll turn to Titus chapter 2 and just hold that place, Titus chapter 2, we'll start in verse 11. Today is our third Sunday in our vision month. We've discussed love God. We've discussed love people, and today we discuss live truth. Do we have that image of the vision? Okay, there it is. Um, we, we believe in when it says Habakkuk, write it in big, bold letters. We went a step further and made stick figures, so everyone has no excuse to not understand. Well, understanding is a whole different ballgame, right? <laughs> I can hear, I can see, but understanding is. But to at least see and to be communicated to what our vision is and so it's love God and uh, encounter him through worship so that our foundation can be shifted and that we can know who he is and who we are in him and truly love him with our life love people connect with other believers we've even got some real easy ways for you to do that Uh, love God come to worship encounters and let your foundation be shifted love people uh, join life groups and connect with other believers live truth Um, That is letting the Word of God permeate every area of your life and how it affects all those around you. You see your home, your church, your workplace, or your school. And so we have a tangible expression of that here, and that is to join serve teams. And so we'll give you the opportunity to do that today. And um, we are attempting to build disciples that have firm foundations And so we try to find tangible expressions of that for us to practice and exercise. You know, our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Sometimes we love to come and watch us do the work of the ministry. But we did not come here to for you to watch us do the work of the ministry. We came to equip you and teach you to do the work of the ministry. What kind of effectiveness will we have as a body, no matter how big we grow? If we get a thousand people here to come watch me do ministry, what is that going to do to our community? What's that going to do to our region? What's that going to do to our state, our nation, and the nations of the world? I believe we're going to touch the nations of the world. That's not going to happen by y'all watching me do ministry. <laughs> and so that's going to happen when we start doing ministry and we start multiplying ourselves into others and they start doing ministry and we see a sto- snowball effect of the kingdom being advanced yeah. all around us. And so let's look at Titus 2, 11 through 14, just as a foundational scripture. I'm going to read that from the message God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We are being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. That's not in the future. That's right now. Okay, this life is starting now. <laughs> Y'all love that song, dude. And his wedding, our appetites for the glory. Man, I'm old school, so I heard that in old way, and I just, I just was praying, like, what if when they get done with that version, they just go into that fast one that Tommy Bates does, you know? <laughs> I'm going to get up, going to get up, going to get up out of the ground. Y'all didn't even know Johnny Cash was so cool, did y'all? Write that song, huh? Were we doing something? Yeah, the new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites. Come on. We should be living a life right now that is wetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people 
he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. What life are we living to replace the life he redeemed us from? We should be living the true life, the pure life, the real life. We were living a pseudo, sin-filled, dead life. See, that life was dead on its way to death. You weren't just living a life of sin and one day you were going to die. Anybody who lived a life of sin, did you die repeatedly? Did it lead you to a point of death? Was it not just, okay, it's going to be fun, 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 and then one day I die? And then it's bad? Or did you come to find a life of sin and separation from God led you consistently to places of death? Okay, so why then when a life of truth and freedom and deliverance comes, we think now that we just hold on until life comes? Should not the life that we're living now be leading to resurrection and life? Should not we find ourselves consistently saying, oh my goodness, I didn't know life could be this good. I didn't know life could be this full. I didn't know I could come to this place of life now. I thought that glory was only reserved to the sweet by and by. But my goodness, I just found a new place of life. If it worked in death, why doesn't it work in life? How has the enemy allowed us to believe such a falsity, such a lie? He tried to destroy us, destroy us, destroy us, destroy us. Death, 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 steal, kill, destroy. And then we surrender our life to Christ, and he's like, okay, if I can get them to believe that that's for one day, but they can keep living this life that keeps partaking of death until they get there, he knows at some point he's going to weary you down to give up before you ever taste that far-removed prize that you're waiting for. It may sound crazy, but we try to make the life of faith too much faith. How can you say that? But there needs to be some things realized. It's not just faith. It's fulfillment. If we only surrender our life to Christ in faith for a redemption in the sweet by and by, far removed, which, hey, I do not diminish that. It, the scripture says you're a fool if you don't look towards heaven as the ultimate prize. Everything we experience and we encounter here is going, I mean, it's going to be amazing. We're going to be pinching ourselves here. But it's going to pale in comparison to what we experience there. But we, we just, if we, do, if we only have this thing that's so far removed, faith should be growing and building because we have faith for something, we realize something. Yes. We have faith for something, yes. we experience that faith come to fulfillment. We believe for something, we receive something. We believe for something, we receive something. We dare to dream about something that we can't even ask, think, or even imagine, and God shows up, and he gives it to us, and our faith grows, and we're like, I need something bigger now. We should be growing. Did despair not grow? Did hopelessness not grow? Did we not start down a path of purposelessness and purposelessness beget purposelessness and purposelessness beget purposelessness? So shouldn't purpose beget purpose beget purpose beget purpose beget glory and glory and glory and glory till where one day I believe that transition into the absolute promise of eternity with him. It's just another step. We're being robbed. We're being robbed in our faith. We're being robbed. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. 
Every scripture is God-breathed, given by his inspiration, and profitable for instruction, for reproof and conviction of sin, for correction of error and discipline in obedience, and for training in righteousness, in holy living, in conformity to God's will in thought, purpose, and action. So that the man of God may be complete and proficient, well-fitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Live truth. Let the word of God instruct, reprove, correct, put you on like a glove, and be demonstrated through your life. That's what living truth looks like. Are we living truth? Are we letting the word of God permeate our life? Are we going to it as our number one source of construction and reproof and direction and counsel? Or sometimes, many times, is it the last place we turn? We let the world, I love the message version. I can't remember the exact address right now. But we let the world who doesn't know the first thing about life tell us how to live. (laughs) We let Facebook, who don't know the first thing about life, tell us how to live. Preached a sermon one time, the gospel according to Facebook. And I put up memes from Facebook. And the sad part is, I'd say 90% of the church would not be able to tell some catchy phrase in a meme apart from the Word of God. It's amazing how many believers post memes that are contrary to the Word of God. Like, why don't invest in people who don't invest in you? Okay. <laughs> don't value people if they don't value you. Don't do this. And then, and then there's 15 other saints. Amen. 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 <laughs> Love your enemies as yourself. Those that persecute you, use you, mistreat you, bless them and do not curse them. Lay down your life for them. Let this same mind be in you that was in Christ. That he gave himself up for us. We have to go to the word to know how to live truth. Look at Matthew 7, 24. I'll read this from the message version as well. I don't always read a ton from the message, but I just, these speak so well of what I believe the intended original language means. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. God doesn't just want to come into your life and straighten some of the pictures on your wall. He doesn't just want to expand the bathroom a little bit. These are not just homeowners' improvements improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words. We're supposed to tear the house down. We're supposed to tear the house down. When you come into faith, you don't just have your way of living and then you add a little faith to it. You add a little word to it. You add a little uh, discipline to it. I'm going to get back in church. I'm going to live right. The call is to die and to be born again fresh and new. A new life. He doesn't want to come in and patch up the holes 
fill the cracks in your floor of your old life so that it doesn't hurt as bad and it's not as hopeless and it's not as helpless and it doesn't keep ending in death. The only way your life doesn't keep ending in death is if you just go ahead and die and you're born again into new life that can never be taken away. But as long as you're just trying to use religion to patch up your old life, you're going to still end up in the same place and the same result. And it's not just one time. You're going to end up with it now, perpetually, like you were then. The only way to walk in life is to die. I love that I'm getting a few amens still because I didn't think I would today. They're foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid Carpenter, who built his house on the sandy beach when a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. I don't have my Bible with me. This thing, hit me to me. This thing is not going to transform your life by osmosis. James 1, 22 through 25. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are. How many believers have no idea who they are? Yet they're supposed to be living in truth, and they don't even know what the truth is. They keep hearing the truth, but they don't apply the truth, and it just, when they walk away, it has no sustaining value in their life. We don't know who we are or what they look like, but whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, what's the true life? Free life. Man, don't be telling me I got to live truth. Truth is scary. How about free? You like free? Truth is free. Even out of the corner of your eye and sticks with it is, not distract, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will, define, will find delight and affirmation in the action. See, some of us go through real big displays about how much we're hearing or seeing the Word or how big our Bible is or the prominent place it sits on in our shelf. But none of that stuff is going to have any effect on our life. All that's going to affect our life is how much that Bible shows up in our actions. It's a living, breathing word that is supposed to be fleshed out in our life. And I don't care if you listen to preaching 24 hours a day. I don't care if you listen to it at work, listen to it at home. If you carry your Bible around under your arm and you wear a T-shirt that says, I carry my Bible or something, I don't know, and you got bumper stickers on your car. Unless that Bible, unless that word is being fleshed out in your life, it is having no impact on you. I've said this before and I want to say it again today because it's just so powerful. We have relativistic hearers. Those who undermine the authority of Scripture by suggesting that it might be right for you, but it's not right for me. It's the crowd who suggests the word is no longer relevant for our day. You have your truth, 
and I have my truth. Relativistic hearers, they hear it, and then they run it through a filter of whether or not it's relative or not. Listen, the flowers will fade, and the grass will wither, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. It's relative today. It was relative thousands of years ago, and it'll be relative a million years from now. You can throw out your relative filter because it's not needed. Matter of fact, everything you can hear, touch, or see is only relative based, by, based on how it relates to him. <laughs> so we've got relativistic hearers. We hear it, and then we run it through the filter of whether or not it's relative. We've got superstitious hearers. Treat the Bible like it's magic of some kind. Like the children of Israel who thought they would win the battle just because they had the Ark of the Covenant with them. Some think that just because they read the Bible or they have the Bible placed in a prominent place that it's going to affect their life. Superstitious. When we leave this culture and go to other cultures on a mission field, I'd love to say I've done that extensively. I haven't. I've done it very minimally, but what it's done to my life is extensive. But you go to other cultures, and you'll see unbelievable superstitions. It's funny because I say we go to other cultures. It just stands out in other cultures. We probably have it more than anybody else. Our churches look probably more like superstitious craziness that have magical expectations about what things, religious duties will equal in divine results. Does that make sense? As much as anybody else in any other culture. Theirs just seem crazy to me because they don't look as pretty as ours. You've got people in church praying and believing God one minute, and the next minute they're saying we've got to have a baby. We'll take a chance on our baby dying because we have to go through the certain superstitions before we have the baby. This is in Guatemala. I got these people, believers of God, truth. I mean, they sound like they've got so much truth, and yet they subjected themselves to the superstitions of man and culture. That's just one example. There's so much superstition in their culture. How much do we have that? How much do we focus on rituals more than truth? How much do we believe that religious duties are what's going to define our life and are going to make us full and fulfilled? more than truth affecting our life. Emotional hearers. No doubt the word affects our emotions, but some come to the Bible seeking a certain kind of experience. They're more interested in feeling than doing. Well, I read that. That didn't really move me. That's a shame that you should have chose to move after you read that. <laughs> Well, if I don't feel it, I don't move. Well, good luck with that. Theoretical hearers. Hearers who come to the Bible just to gain information. They emphasize Bible knowledge and theological correctness, but they aren't so interested in practical godliness. I come to the Word of God. I do all this just to gain knowledge so that I can lord it over everybody else in my life not really caring about fleshing out what I've learned and what I've read. I'm not against knowledge. Knowledge is wonderful as long as you live as much as you learn. As long as you display as much as you try to tell me to display. Live truth. The Word of God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word 
became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is the Word? Who is the Word? Word is a who. He is the Word. Jesus manifested the Word. The Word put on flesh and walked among us. So if we're going to live truth, that's going to be live Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I told her a little joke this weekend, and I've told it here before, but there were two brothers that were fighting over a pancake. That never happens in my house, so somebody else told the story, and I just tried to relate to them, you know. <laughs> but these two children were fighting over a pancake, and the mom said cut it in half, and they cut it in half, and of course, y'all can guess, always, they didn't get a tape measure out, so there was a perceived lack on one end, okay? So the mom, seeing an opportunity for a teaching moment, said, guys, Jesus would give his brother the larger piece. So the other brother, with a little more season and quick-wittedness, looked at the younger brother, and he said, hey, why don't you be Jesus today? Sometimes we want to tell people, why don't you be Jesus? I'll tell you everything I know about who you should be, and you be him. I'll be the teacher, you be the doer. I think it's our turn to be Jesus. Good news, John 16, 13 says, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So we have a helper that helps us live in truth. If we will surrender ourselves to him, the Holy Spirit will guide us in truth. If we will ask him, he will teach us. If we'll follow him, he'll lead us. If we desire to manifest him, he will manifest himself through us. When I use the word manifest, people freak out. I mean, he'll display himself through us. People will see the kingdom through our lives. In Matthew chapter 26... And in Mark chapter 14 and in John chapter 12, there is a, an account of the story where Jesus' feet were washed by a woman. And costly perfume were poured at, was poured out on his feet. The point today is not the response of the Disciples around him that were upset that they wasted the money. That's a good sermon, but that's not the point today. The point today is not even that the woman and her, who she was and what it meant. You know, there, there, I believe there's two different occasions where his feet were washed and he was anointed. And one was a much earlier place in his life in, in Luke. And that is the passage where it's about the... Uh, harlot who washed his feet I believe these passages are Mary uh, the sister of Lazarus that washed his feet and I believe these three are depicting of that story so not to be confused I believe they're two different stories there and um, they're, they're definitely seem to be significantly different times these three passages are very close to Jesus death the other was not. These three passages reference that she prepared him for burial. The other did not. So she washed his feet. 
and anointed him and dried his feet with her hair. And Jesus' response was, she is preparing me for burial. Jesus in John chapter 13. Verse 4, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. A few years ago, I saw that this was not only, I believe, a display of servanthood, but I believe this was Jesus preparing his disciples to die. Just as Mary prepared him to die. He knew they would face death, and he washed their feet, prepared them. It doesn't say he put perfume on, but that was usually part of the process of washing feet. You wash their feet, clean them, and then you would put some type of ointment on their feet because their feet smelled really bad because they were barefoot most of the time. They walked on the same trails as the animals walked on, and they picked up a lot of residue and a lot of junk. A few years ago, Jahan, hope she doesn't mind, I'm telling her just a little bit, but she was on a ministry assignment. And nowhere before that assignment, nor till now, have I ever seen dishonor like I saw at that engagement towards Jahan and the gift that she carries. She was in the middle of leading worship. They had done so much pomp and circumstance in that service, it was unbelievable. I used to be real careful, but let me just say it. They, they had people sitting on thrones and giving offerings. I wanted to leave, and then when the oil started flowing, when Jahan was singing, somebody walked up on the stage and tapped her on the shoulder and asked her to go sit down because they needed to move on to the next part of the program. And the breath just left me, and I just felt, my goodness. Jahan went back to the room, and she was mortified. I know she carries herself well, and she's super mature, but everybody hurts. Greatest, greatest honor of my life is to truly know her, get to walk with her, and her me through those things. I went into the hotel room and she was curled up in a fetal position in the corner. She said, I'm not going back out there. She's supposed to go out there at the end when her time came back up on the program. She was justified to do that. We're in another country. <laughs> That's the worst. We're in another country. Completely at the will of those who have brought us there and are paying for our hotel room and everything. And I think she brought up um, Matthew 10, 14. Or I might have brought it up encouraging her, you know, because I play the role of defender like everybody else. And then hopefully truth can break, to, break through and I try to seek for redemption and truth. But at first we all want to defend. You don't need to be defended. You need to die. He can't live through you if you're constantly defending your old self. I don't know which one of us brought it up, but one of us said in verse t- Matthew 10, 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, you shake the dust off your feet. <laughs> Bye, George, we're out of here. Lord, send the fire just now. Just burn this place up. And in this moment, whenever which one of us said it, 
the Lord took me to when he washed the disciples' feet in my mind. He said that verse didn't mean that you dust your feet off as a curse against them. I, I, I don't have time to get into the, the theology of the rest of that verse some other time. It's not necessarily what it says to them. We always need to be concerned with who we are and what it says to us. I'm not responsible for what my actions do to them, but I believe what he was telling us to do for us was concerning us where we're moving forward. And when he took me to the disciples and he took me to the woman who washed his feet, I mean, just bam, just seeing all that, right? When we're in that hotel room, mad. He said, yeah, you can wash your feet off. You can wash your feet and anoint her and then let her go back in there and die again. So you're not ready to move on to anywhere else until you're ready to die again. So a lot of people take this verse as a justification to move on offended with the last people they were with, but unless you're willing to die and you don't care who you die to, and that means you could go right back to where you came from and die again, I got no preference of where I die, I'm just ready to die. I believe he says once you, they've killed you and they've rejected you and all that, then just reset yourself. Wash your feet, wash all that junk you picked up off of you. Wash all that offense off. Get back into the same mind that I'm in and just prepare to die again. And if it's there, go back there and die again. If it's somewhere else, go somewhere else and die again. But the position of our heart can never be, Lord, bring judgment while I move on somewhere else to bring life. You can't bring life anywhere else unless you can bring life back to where you want to bring judgment. The wages of sin are death, and that was not just a one-time death, and we've got witnesses all across this room that testify to that. And the free gift of life is not just one time in the sweet by and by. We love that song, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead shall quicken us and cause us to walk in new life. Be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. Unless you want that to be one time in the sweet by and by, that means you're going to have to take up your cross multiple times. If you want to come out of a grave multiple times and experience new life that you never even knew was possible, that comes through death that you never wanted to die. What has this got to serve, teams? I don't know. I just wanted to preach today. I kind of got tired the last two weeks. I think I talked too much information about vision, and I just didn't feel alive. And today I said, I'm just going to go in and preach today. <laughs> Lord, you tie it to live truth however you want to, but no. <coughs> he bids us come and die. Come and die. <laughs> and come and die. The table that's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. All the rewards, all the promises, all the blessings, all the things we experience in new life are on the other side of death. It's not a one-time prayer and then a one-day promise. It's a perpetual death that produces a perpetual life. And we can experience and encounter life that we never fathomed or imagined. I'm running out of time, so I got to wrap it up. But whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Not a one time thing. Tomorrow, if you fashion your day, if you make your decisions, if you go through your time of how you save your life, your feelings, your emotions, your life, what you have 
believe to be what can, can, makes up your life, then you'll lose it. You'll lose those things. But if tomorrow you'll lay down your life, then you'll find it. I love Romans 12. Read it all the time, but I love this just because it's so practical in the message. Here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's living truth. In our homes, in our church, in our workplaces, it's living truth. He must increase, but I must decrease. John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Fruit is not just religious performance and production and numbers. It's the stuff you get to eat and partake of. It's fulfillment and sustenance in your life. But the only way you receive it is if it goes into the ground and dies. Galatians 6, 8, 9, For if one sows to his flesh, he will from the flesh reap corruption. That's what we used to do. How could we ever still do that in faith? One day he'll save me from this, but until then I'll just keep sowing into my flesh. Reaping perpetual corruption until the, my salvation arrives. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. We get to determine what our harvest is, life or death. And we get to determine the capacity the quantity of our harvest you decide if it's life or death some of you when you were choosing death you chose a lot of death some of us chose less death than others right but those that sow sparingly reap sparingly those that sow bountifully reap bountifully when you sowed a lot of death you reaped a lot of death Do we just want to sow a prayer and reap life in a sweet by and by, or do I want to sow bountifully death and reap bountifully resurrection? That's living truth. I want to put feet on it and hands to it. That's what we're called to do here. Build disciples that can have a real action plan to move forward and grow. This is not the pinnacle. What you ever do in this building or in whatever discipleship model we do is not the pinnacle. It is just trying to establish foundation. You understand? But foundationally, we should be serving. Here's how that looks practically. We're going to church to celebrate life and talk about life and hear about life. Yet, when the option comes to go to that church to hear about life and how we can die and gain more, but we go an hour earlier and we have an opportunity to die to something we could have done in that hour that we think could possibly bring us more fruit than serving, We've chose to sow to the flesh. I wish I could do this. Our church would grow faster and we'd have more people here if I never talk like this. But if you come here and refuse to serve, you are missing out on harvest. 
Because I doubt it. If you, I doubt people say, well, man, I don't have to serve at the church. I serve a lot. I doubt it. If you can't serve with a bunch of like-minded believers who celebrate your gift and will say, man, I love you, and put your picture on Facebook and how much you mean to our body when you serve, you're not going to be going around the world serving people that hate you and mock you and spit on you. I just doubt it. I doubt it. This is the most celebrated and encouraging atmosphere to you, for you to practice serving in. What's your problem if you're not? Sometimes we think, I, gotta, I know i got to go, but sometimes we think the martyrs, oh, my goodness. They're amazing, and they are. The pastors, they're amazing. They are. The worship leaders, the evangelists, the missionaries, these people that give their life or whatever, they're amazing. I'm so thankful God didn't call me to that. I'm glad that I'm just an entry-level kingdom person. Let me help you with something. The martyrs die. You know what the entry-level position is in the kingdom? When we think, I'm so thankful I'm not one of those people who has to serve. That's the entry level. I'm sorry. You're not partaking of life unless you serve. There's gifts. There's callings. There's talents. Give them. Surrender them sacrifice the hour that you want to slow, show to your flesh. How about this? Just how about this? I'm sorry. I like to sit in service and hear more word. I don't want to be out of service where I can hear more word out there living some of what I've already heard. I've threatened it many times when there's certain rows that aren't being covered. I'm not trying to be hard. I, I'm trying to, uh, this, is, this is hopefully an encouraging thing to you because I'm not saying we're in such a deficit and we're, we'll be fine. Y'all raise up people, another yes will pop up and everything. I'm just telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out. I'm going to look around this room, testimony after testimony. In our next vision month, is going to be filled with you guys doing this because that's the power in what we do is the testimonies of your life. But I look around this room, and I find people who found places of gifting that they did not know they even had. Jordan is a great example. Jordan, I don't know if he's ever had a, ma a big degree, uh, desire to do photography. He got on the communications team. He got introduced to taking photographs. He fell in love with it, got a new camera for Christmas, and he is finding such fulfillment and worth in his life from operating in that gift. And it came from a yes to serving in this model of a place where we learn to serve and find out what God would call us to do. That's what we're trying to do. I've said many times when there's some area that possibly no one stepped up in, I've wanted to lead the way and go out and one Sunday y'all come in and we have someone else speaking because I'm in the back doing the nursery. I'm sure not above it. And it wouldn't matter to me a bit. I would feel just as fulfilled. I would feel just as fulfilled. This weekend we had a ministry assignment and they travel all the time and do worship assignments. And there's times, one time this weekend, they asked me to sit on a panel. They asked me to come up and open in prayer. They asked me to do a couple of different upfront ministry assignments and I didn't feel any more fulfilled when I did those than when I was in the back doing sound so that the worship could be clearly understood and communicated. That back there to me is completely fulfilling to me in life. I never come out of that booth. Because I found worth in, the, in knowing that God can use me in that. And so 
so into the spirit. And this is a safe place. Entry level to learn and to train. If you're committed to this body in any level, in any degree, if you're a regular attender here, you should be serving. You should. We're only successful if we're moving people through a discipleship process. If we got a bunch of people that just come here and just hang out, we are not successfully accomplishing what God has called us to do in this area. Because it's equipping the saints. And this is the entry level. Y'all are supposed to be learning how to do some things in there because you're supposed to be carrying that out to our community. And you're supposed to be starting ministry somewhere that, that are birthed in your serving expression in this body. Believe that with all my heart. This is not about filling roles here. Y'all have seen it. I just stopped doing them. If we didn't have somebody do kids, I would not sit up here and cry. We just wouldn't have kids. And I know God would bless us and we could have church in here with all the kids in here. It ain't no big deal. But somebody would be missing out on stepping into their worth and calling and something that God wants to use them in and find an identity in it. But we could do it. This is not a need-based ministry. We don't need anybody to serve, but you need to serve. You need to serve, and I need to serve, and we all need to serve. I have to be involved in other expressions than standing up here on Sunday. I have to serve. I find fulfillment in doing those things. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your spirit who guides us and leads us. And God, I just anoint people in this room today. I just wash their feet. I just prepare them right now to step into a new area that is going to challenge them and cause them to die to something, to surrender to what you call them into. So I just call forth those that would surrender and submit and die today to the purposes and plans of God for their life. And an entry-level start is just serving in a body. Just a great place to learn and start. So I just call them into that, God. I just pray that you would just speak to them as we go into this fellowship hall today and we look at these different areas of serving. Lord, I pray that you would just let something resonate with them. I pray that they would connect with something, and I pray that you would lead them. I don't want just the loudest leader that needs people to be hollering and they go to them. God, I pray that you would lead them, direct them into a place of service. In Jesus' name. Are we going to have an altar call today? Yes. It's in the fellowship hall. Respond to the word of God. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.